Hi, everybody. It's Peter Bassler here from ESEC Lending for another episode of ESEC Lending Insights. This is our second podcast of the year. Glad to be back with my partner, Brooke Gilman, who's coming to us from Burlington, Vermont. I'm actually in Vermont now, too, because we can be anywhere these days. And we've got a special guest, Ed Oliver, coming to us from our London office. And of course, Ed always sounds smarter because he's got an accent. So we'll always use the assets that we have. So welcome, Ed. Hi, thank you. Nice to be here. I know we've done this before. We've actually had a New Markets podcast before, but an update is definitely necessary. So just to start off, there's something hot off the press today that, Ed, I think Brooke would like to get your take on. So I'll hand it over to you, Brooke. Sure. So mainly we want to talk to you about what's on the horizon in terms of new markets for securities lending. But before that, so South Korea has had a short selling ban now for a period of time since the pandemic started and the market pressures began last spring. They have extended that ban. There's new information today out in the market around when they're going to partially lift that ban at the beginning of May which I guess you know can be viewed in part as good news, but I know that they're taking a half measure and not going the full way. So Ed, can you maybe just give us some of the details on South Korea and on that short selling band update and then what that means to lending participants that have South Korean assets? Sure, yeah. South Korea is an interesting one. We've been following it for quite a while. Obviously, initially the ban was going to be for six months and then they rolled it. For a further six months, it was due to expire on the 15th of March. And I think for quite some time, our expectation was that that ban would be lifted on the 15th of March. And it felt like the direction of travel was exactly that. And it's only been in the last two or three weeks that it's become apparent that the combination of strong retail investor opposition to short selling, a little bit of political opposition as well, has really led to the decision that was announced this week that they're going to extend the ban further to the 2nd of May before lifting it for the top 350 securities on the exchange. So I think there's a couple of comments to make there. One is that at this point in time, it's expected that it'll be lifted on the 2nd of May, but we'll be keeping a very close eye on that to ensure that that actually is the case. And then there's a restriction over what we saw pre-pandemic with just a limited set of securities that will be allowed to be short sold from that point on. So As you point out, that is restrictive. It's unfortunate that it won't extend beyond that. And certainly we see most other markets globally that allow short selling, that they do it for a reasonable set of securities that are covered. So I think it's still very much a situation that we're watching closely. There's been a good comment made in the press today by PASLA, the Pan-Asian Securities Lending Association, acknowledging that the extension is quite disappointing for international investors who now can't hedge their positions over the next few months until that is lifted. And then from that point on, obviously, won't be able to do so on a reasonable subset of the exchange securities. So I think it's definitely something that we welcome the sort of semi-lift, but I think we still also want to watch it closely and ensure that actually it does get lifted on the 2nd of May and that we can move forward with short selling from the 3rd. So lots to watch on that. Great. Thank you, Ed. And so maybe we'll turn to new markets and always looking ahead to new markets. It's helpful to also look to the past. And I know one of the last markets that we had approved for clients was Russia. So maybe, Ed, you can use that as an example to tell our listeners how we approach a new market. Maybe use Russia as an example, because that was obviously an impactful one for our clients. 
the way we approach new markets is to talk to a lot of people uh, effectively as we get started. So once we're aware, you know, we have lots of markets on our radar, Peter, at any time. I mean, there's probably around sort of between 11, 12, 13 type markets that we're probably keeping an eye on right now because there have been new regulation made available to us. And therefore, we keep an eye on the regulation. We also analyze the operational mechanisms in the market, particularly around things like sell sales and such like, where there might be some challenges around operationally supporting the market. But also what we try to do is talk to the exchanges, talk to the regulators and introduce our model and how we lend securities and make them familiar with that, as well as understand a little bit more about how their market ticks. And ultimately, then we're waiting for borrowing demand to pick up as well. And then when all of those things come together, then we go for a more of a formal due diligence process around uh, taking external legal opinion on the processes and also looking for tax opinion as well. So there's quite a lot of steps in looking at a new market. And I think the building relationships with the onshore stakeholders is key to success because we inevitably find as once you get into those discussions, they're very keen as well to sort of learn a little bit more about the offshore models and how offshore institutional investors participate in security lending. So we very much focus on those discussions and then build out from there. And that's really been our model. Taking Russia as an example, we were talking to the Moscow Exchange for quite some time before we really started moving forward with due diligence. And we've certainly moved lockstep with them ever since. And they're very keen to update us on things that are going on generally with the exchange. Even now we're live and they're very keen to understand how we're doing from a security lending perspective, what the liquidity is that we're bringing to the marketplace. So it's a partnership approach with the stakeholders in the market. And that's the way we approach it with all of these. Question for you, Ed. So just following back up on the South Korea news and then your description of the process that we undertake for due diligence on new markets, how crucial is it that a market would have a facility and a mechanism from a regulatory perspective to allow for covered short selling in their market prior to having a functioning lending market? They sort of go hand in hand, I would say. I mean, I think many reasons why you borrow securities and short selling is obviously one of them. But there are many other reasons as well in terms of just being able to make markets in securities, you know, fail coverage, things like that. So if you think back to how securities lending first started, it was more of a fail coverage type transaction. And right. so you borrow securities if you need to, to cover a, a security that might fail. So, so ultimately, it sort of grows up through a variety of reasons. But short selling is one of the key ones. And it's certainly the one of the ones that index providers um, like MSCI and FTSE Russell uh, very focused on it to become a developed market in one of their indexes. You need to have short selling, you need to have securities lending because of the liquidity it brings to the marketplace. So both really go hand in hand. But if you're going to have significant securities lending volume, you need to have a covered short selling capability. Great, Ed. That was really helpful. And so as we look forward and think about opening new markets where there's both supply as well as interest in bringing SBL to those markets, which markets are on our radar and why? if you don't mind taking us through that. Yeah, no, I think there's a few, as I mentioned earlier, that we're keeping an eye on at all times, but there's some that are closer. And I think uh, you'll recall that I stood in front of one of our client events about 14 months ago now, 
and talked about a number of markets that were on our radar at that time. And frankly, they're still there. We haven't launched any new markets since that time. But I think we are relatively close right now to seeing some success with new regulations being released this year that will jump into some of these markets for the first time. So I think one that we've been talking about for a while is Saudi Arabia. And we went out and met with the Saudi exchange and the other stakeholders over 18 months ago now. And they've been working on developing their rules and regulations for both securities lending and short selling since that point. There was an industry-wide consultation in early 2020, where certainly the International Securities Lending Association, ISLA, pulled together their Middle Eastern working group to form an industry response to that consultation. And I think, you know, we ended up in a very good place in terms of the level of communication with the stakeholders in Saudi. So I think initially we were expecting there to be new regulations released at the end of 2020. That's rolled into Q1 2021, but we're waiting to see what that looks like. I think with all of the markets that we're now looking at, there will be a number of steps will need to take place. They're not going to be simple switch-ons. So there will be, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, some of the things that clients might have to expect to participate in these markets. So I think there'll be a bit of a lead time, but I would hope that we could switch Saudi on, all things being well with the regulation in 2021. I can move on to a couple of others. The Philippines would be one that, again, we've been talking about for a little while. This is one where PASLA have been doing fantastic work, liaising directly with the Philippine Stock Exchange and other stakeholders in Manila. And we've been out there a couple of times and met and run workshops. And they've been really well received. There's lots of stakeholders in the Philippines, uh, going from the revenue through to the exchange, to the regulator, to the depository. And they all actually have different sets of rules that focus on SBL. So pulling all of that together and getting to a position where offshore investors can participate means there's a couple of what were very clear showstoppers originally around use of the recognized global master securities lending agreement and also the ability to take offshore collateral, which, as we understand it, have been addressed. And when the regulations are released, Again, we hope that to be relatively early in 2021 should mean that foreign investors will be able to participate this year. Again, I think there's going to be a number of steps and registrations and things that will be required in the Philippines before you'll be able to go live. But uh, getting that process kicked off early this year will be hopefully the key to success in terms of getting some activity happening before year end. So the Philippines one is another one that I'm quite excited about. I think Romania is a market that have had SBL rules and regs published for a few years now. I remember talking to stakeholders there back in 2016, and we've been basically waiting for demand to catch up. And that situation seems to be in reach now. So we're very much focused on Romania and moving forward with our due diligence process there with a view to hopefully having our first securities ending transaction in Romania in 2021 as well. So those three, I think, if you're looking at this year, are ones where all things being well, we should hope to see some transactions. And from a lender perspective, potentially, if they are willing to consider reviewing any of these three markets, if they are in a position to be able to trade 
this year in 2021. Would you anticipate that all or some of them might act like some of the other newer markets of securities lending in the past five to 10 years where a pre-notification of sell information would be required to make sure that assets can be back into a custody account prior to a sell? Or, or do you think, is that a big focus for some of these markets also? Do you see that as a sort of a commonality in continuing to open up new markets? Or do you think that there's some flexibility there? Yeah. And I think that is the question. I would warn anyone listening to this podcast and thinking, great, I've got an opportunity. I should be able to start lending my securities in those markets. You will only be able to do it if you are able to offer either pre-sale notification, maybe in some cases, timely notification. And what I mean by that is trade dates during local market hours, because effectively those three markets I've just mentioned are really no fail markets. So yeah, you know, we've been very fortunate, Brooke, as you know, that a number of our clients are able to support providing some level of pre-sale notification in these markets. And I think people who have the flexibility and the ability to do that will be successful and will be able to take part. But if it's a situation where sale notifications are coming in on trade date, sometimes after local market hours are shut, that's not going to work for markets such as these. So I think increasingly we see that the low-hanging fruit of easy to, to turn on markets are long behind us. And now it's a bit more esoteric, a little bit more niche, and you need to be flexible in order to respond to that opportunity. Are any of these markets, I know that there's some markets out there that have had more of a central counterparty model that have presented challenges for certain types of investors to consider for participating in lending in a traditional SBL sense. Are any of these markets likely to go that model or not? I don't think so. They may run a CCP option alongside a OTC option. But in these three markets, at the moment, my expectation is that a CCP would not be involved unless you wanted it to be. And that model was just alongside what we would call a typical OTC model. Okay. And one last question before you maybe move on to potential market opportunities beyond 2021, all things being equal, as you say, if uh, if the regulators are able to make progress, hopefully this year, but on a relative value basis in terms of market size and scope of opportunity and investor size, do you have a view on where, again, if a particular lender could participate in all three of these markets where they might want to prioritize their time spent for proving and reviewing markets where the opportunity and spreads for early movers in a market might be greater? I think Saudi's definitely leading the way in terms of interest. I think there's a lot of interest from intermediaries in participation in Saudi. And I think that's driven by the movement into the emerging market index over the last year. So there's definitely interest from borrowers in that market. So I think there will be opportunities. In terms of actual securities held, the Philippines does have quite a broad holding, certainly when we look at our clients' assets in the Philippines. So there may be actually more depth to the ability to lend in the Philippines, albeit I think they'll limit the initial lending rules to the PSEI 30, um, so be the top 30 names. I think it sort of depends on particularly our clients' holdings in each market where they're exposed as to which ones they should focus on. But I think the key for us as a provider is to turn on all three of those and make certain that the opportunity is there for clients who choose to take advantage of it. Yes, definitely agree. Okay, great. Ed, what about China? I know that's another big one. 
It's the biggest one really out there at the moment. And I think there's been a huge amount of interest in China. I think we saw back in 2014, 2015, the first SBL laws published, which would have allowed securities lending through Stock Connect. And at that point, though, it was restricted to exchange participants. So no offshore providers could participate in that. So volumes were extraordinarily low as a result of it. But over the last few years, there's been a lot of discussion and this has been led to some extent by PASLA working alongside ASIFMA and then speaking to the regulators and the exchanges onshore in China about the ability to basically allow QFIIs and RQFII participation in lending China A shares. And with the addition of China A shares into the indexes over the last year or two, that's only become a bigger reason to want to get involved in that transaction. There's been lots of discussions, and at the end of last year, the regulator in China announced that QFII and RQFII participants could participate in securities lending and borrowing. But saying that, there needs to be a lot of infrastructure and regulation development before this really opens up for foreign investors. There is the mechanism to do it today if you're prepared to take effectively CSF and sovereign risk by virtue of working through the CCP model that, Brooke, you asked me about earlier. So that is definitely the model in China right now if you did want to participate. So very similar to what we see in Brazil, actually, with B3, if you are happy to take the exposure and the risk to the CCP, who will be collecting collateral from the borrowers but won't actually be providing it to you as a user, then in that case, that trade potentially exists for you today. But what we see is that most foreign institutional investors will want to participate in China in a model that is fairly typical to what they're used to today, which is the normal OTC model. So there's quite a lot to happen. Certainly, we've seen the announcements from the custodian banks in China that they've tested the pipes and they can make that transaction work in terms of processing the transaction. But there is no real volume to talk about because the model isn't quite there today. But if you look optimistically, maybe that's a 2022 discussion where we perhaps see that regulation develop. And I think certainly the industry associations and the local participants are going to be working very hard with the regulators and the stakeholders in China to see how we can move forward with developing it from here. But very encouraging, I think, to see that that announcement did come out towards the end of last year. And the dialogue is very much in play right now. That's great. And I assume China would operate similar to the others that you talked about, where we'd likely also see the need to have securities back prior to sale of an asset, or at least a no-fails market where that notification and alignment of settlement date and, and recall default date need to fully be in line with one another. Is that an accurate statement for China as well? From what we know today, then yes, that is an accurate statement. I can see a pre-sale notification requirement for China with what we know today, but we'll have to obviously see how that develops as the regulations are built out. But yeah, that would be my expectation. Great. Well, that's super helpful, Ed. Thanks for walking through all of that and Brooke for your commentary as well. I always find that new markets is something that people should be talking about more. Everyone's always asking clients and prospects, how do I make more money? And the concepts often on collateral or expanding guidelines. And, and I think new markets for our firm and our clients has always been a focus. And Russia, we were early days. That was a big driver of revenue for some of our clients. So as you think about your programs, I think being with a partner that understands and is proactive in new markets is critical. 
and somebody who understands the regulatory, the legal, and importantly, the operational side. As we've talked about in this podcast, you know, many markets that are new require pre-sale and have no-fail type jurisdiction. So new markets to me is one of the key areas to look at when you're looking at how do I make more money in my lending program. So thanks, guys. Ed, always a pleasure having you on and hope everyone tunes into our next podcast. And before we finish, I just want to plug that, Ed, I think you're also covering this topic in a fair amount of detail with one of the upcoming conferences that PASLA has organized in early March. Is that correct? And do you want to preview that in case people want to tune into that for more information from other market participants on the topic? Yeah, thank you for mentioning that, Brooke. So 2nd and 3rd of March, obviously no physical conference again this year for PASLA, which is a shame. Fingers crossed, Tokyo 2022. But for now, we're doing a virtual conference and I'll be moderating a panel on developing markets. And what I will say is, if you want an update on India, then do listen in because we will have a speaker from the NSE talking about what's happening in India. So looking forward to that. We'll be covering a bunch of other Asian markets as well. Expect to learn a little bit more about the Philippines. We might have had an update by then on what's going on with their release of regulations. I think plenty to look forward to. As I say, 2nd and 3rd of March, it's going to be Asian times, but there will be a recording available for those who are perhaps in the UK and the US and can't hear it live. So worth registering for the PASLA RMA conference. And yeah, we'll have lots to talk about in respect of developing markets in Asia. And there's a session on China as well. So if you want to hear more on China, then definitely join that virtual conference. Good. Well, thank you. I think I'm already registered for it. So we'll tune in and good luck with that. Thank you. Thanks very much, Peter Brooke. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening and have a great day.